I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. Will Miles takes a look at Graham Mertz and some downfield passing stats that we'll go over. Uh, we'll talk about the additions that Will Harris has brought into the secondary. It's been a big month. We saw Asa Turner commit from Washington. A lot of experience coming over with some of these recent additions in the secondary. Uh, special teams coach hired. Ish, ish, Will. We're, we're, it's it's hard. He's coming in on field. We'll, we'll talk about that in six bits. Uh, orange and blue date is set for the spring game as well. Uh, we're back to Saturdays this year. We'll talk about that more uh, when we get there for a dollar. Will, how's it going, man? It's going pretty well. Going pretty well. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we put out a call for people to to advertise with our 2024 preseason magazine. Um, you know, it's going to be 70 pages or approximately 70 pages of Florida Gator content. Um, we think it's a differentiated product and and we've had a lot of people reach out to us. So, um, you know, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about our vision is to eventually take this to where it's not just a Florida magazine to where we put out a Florida magazine, but then there's a Georgia magazine and a Clemson magazine and really expanded as much as we can to everybody in the power five. So it's heartening to see people contact us and have them contact us about that. Um, but certainly we're still always looking. And if people are interested, reach out to me, will at readingreaction.com or on X, you can find me at will miles, sec, reach out to me either way. Would be happy to, uh, to engage and talk about how, how reading reaction hopefully can advertise with your business, get your message moving forward, but also get on the ground floor of these things because, uh, you know, we're, we're planning on, on doing some distribution this year. The, the thought process is we want to get the magazine in a thousand stores within 150 miles of Gainesville. We've been, we've been interfacing with some distributors about doing that. Um, so Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Publix, those sorts of things are the, are the targets. And, uh, you know, obviously the advertising revenue will help do that. So if you, if you want to see, if you want to be a part of us being able to take a picture, put it on Twitter or put it on X of, uh, of a magazine on the shelf. And that's always sort of been all our goal, right? To have that magazine sitting on the shelf, you can do that. So, um, you know, again, thank you to everyone who's already reached out. Even even if you don't advertise, if you're just reaching out to to support us, and if you're reaching out to inquire, and hey, maybe it doesn't match up with with the goals of your of your organization or something like that. But but certainly, just reaching out to us means a lot, and we'd we'd love to have people commit to it. We've had a couple of people already, and we're interested in getting more. So you can reach out to me, Will at readingreaction.com, if you want more information. Yeah, we we really appreciate everybody who's reached out so far. And hey, this is a this is a big goal. This is a big goal. It's a big push, and. We're going to find a way to make it happen. Hopefully you can be a part of it too. So again, just reach out to will at readingreaction.com. If you have any questions or want to start any conversations, we'd really appreciate it. All right, let's dive in to your next article. Will we're taking a look at the quarterback position here in Gainesville, Graham Mertz. And I feel like a lot of the topics we're going to talk about this offseason, the quarterback position are looking ahead to DJ Lagway, but Graham Mertz coming back for another season. And there's a lot of positives to take away. I, I think, objectively you could sit there and say that Billy Napier got the best out of Graham Mertz that we've seen at the college level to this point. And there's a lot of positives to take away, but you did, you did a deep dive on some statistics and you want to walk through uh, the really a full picture here. 
Yeah, so look, I mean, Mertz played, like you said, played really, really well last year. Completion percentage up around 73%. His QB rating was up above 150, which is definitely well above average for the SEC. He finished in the top six of the SEC when you looked at quarterback rating. So, you know, top-tier SEC quarterback, those other six, if you if you look at them, they're, they're Mertz, Jackson Dart, you got Carson Beck, you got, you got Jaden Daniels, um, Milrow from Alabama, and then Brady Cook there for Missouri. Those are the six that you're looking at. And what's interesting is when you look at offense, um, I actually have a, a plot in the article that, that people will be able to see. Maybe you can post it here, but there's, there's a plot of success rate versus yards per play. And what it's really saying is that um, what it's really saying is, is that there's a correlation here pretty clearly. And the higher your success rate, then the more likely your offense is to score yards per play correlates with scoring really, really well. And so with all that said, what does that mean for Graham Mertz? Well, it kind of means sort of middle of the road for Florida's offense last year in comparison to some of the other offenses, specifically LSU and Georgia, who are sort of differentiated out there on the right-hand side of that plot. But the thing is, is that this success rate changes depending upon how far down the field you go. So if you go 20 plus yards down the field, your success rate is actually a little bit suppressed, but obviously when you throw 20 plus yards down the field, if you hit it, it's a major benefit to your offense. From 11 to 20 yards, the success rate goes up to about 59%, actually tracks almost completely with completion percentage. From 0 to 10 yards, your success rate's around 58%. And then behind the line of scrimmage, it drops down to 48%. So what this tells us is, is that if success rate correlates with scoring, throwing from 0 to 10 or 11 to 20 yards most of the time is going to correlate with a better offensive performance. That is what we learned by looking at these numbers. And what you find when you look at Graham Mertz is that his distribution of throws was suboptimal for this. He threw 31% below the line of scrimmage, 38% 0 to 10 yards, and then he only threw 11% of his throws 20-plus yards down the field. Not only that, but he was inefficient when he went, he was unsuccessful when he went down the field. So his QB rating was only 176 at 20 plus yards down the field behind the line of scrimmage was 149. And then from zero to 20, it was somewhere between 163 and 170. So he was sort of right there the entire time, right? I mean, he was, um, he was the same quarterback, whether he was throwing 10 yards down the field or whether he was throwing 20, you compare that to, to Jaden Daniels and Daniels threw downfield 15% of the time, but his QB rating was 4,422 when he went downfield compared to 176 for Mertz. And even at the 11 to 20, he was 204 on his QB rating compared to 170 for Mertz. So I think there's some tweaking that Mertz can do that Florida can do in terms of him going downfield a little bit more often, specifically in that 11 to 20 yard range. And if they can exploit that and take away the screen passes, take away the little pop passes to, to Trey Wilson, those sorts of things and isolate the middle of the field, Mertz could take another step forward. The problem is, is that that requires a couple of things. One is that requires an offensive line that can hold up. The other thing that it requires is Mertz being able to go downfield and maintain the same level of efficiency as he goes downfield. And then honestly, in some ways, it's going to require Mertz being able to be a little bit more pocket aware and throwing the ball away when when the pocket collapses, he's not ever going to add a ton in the running game, but just not taking the sack, getting rid of it and living another day. One of the reasons that they were throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage a lot is because the Florida offense for a lot of different, different reasons was susceptible to sacks and getting behind the chains. They're going to have to fix that next year to be able to go down the field in that 11 to 20% range. But look, I mean, 
the reality is you're not going to be able to live long-term in the SEC throwing 31% of your throws behind the line of scrimmage. Out of the top six quarterbacks that I mentioned earlier, that is the highest. Carson Beck comes in next at 29%, then Cook at 22%, then Dart at 19 Daniels at 15 and Milrow at 14 So the elite of the elite, the guys who really, really are successful, don't throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage all that much. Mertz obviously threw it behind the line of scrimmage a lot last year. That's something they're going to have to shift in 2024 if they expect the offense to be more dynamic than it was in 2023. Now, Will, you, you look at this chart and immediately the thing that will jump out is how similar some of the numbers are in terms of the percentages downfield with Carson Beck. I, outline the differences there where you see – what you saw with Carson Beck and what you saw with Graham Mertz. And I know we had talked a little bit before the show. Beck Beck's approach changed as the season went along too, didn't it? It did early in the season. He was much more behind the line of scrimmage. And so that, that 29% is a little bit elevated for what it would have been. If you took say like the final six games of the season, the bigger thing for me is he's 24% in that 11 to 20 range, but he has a 208, quarterback rating in that 11 to 20 range compared to 169 for Mertz. And so they're going downfield similar percentages, though 4% is still a pretty large amount over, you know, three, 400 throws, but he's going downfield a little bit more, but he's way more successful when he's going downfield. Now we can ask a question there and the question can be, well, is that because the offensive line's keeping him clean? Is that because he has Brock Bowers? Is that because, you know, they have better running game, better offensive line, all those sorts of things. And I think those are all valid things to say at the same time, you know, look, the, the throws behind the line of scrimmage for Florida were not typically throws out of desperation where Mertz was about to get sacked and he was dumping it off. In fact, I think if you were going to criticize Mertz for some things this past year, it might be that he didn't know where his check down was and, and got sacked instead of hitting the running back coming out of the backfield or something like that. Um, those behind the line of scrimmage throws are designed. Those are out to the outside. We're trying to essentially convert a throw to the to the wide receiver into a running play. Mm-hmm. There's the little pop pass to Trey Wilson that goes around the edge. Those things, you have to run them from time to time. The misdirection especially really helps. You need to make sure that the defensive line can't just pin its ears back and come back at the quarterback. At the same time, 31%, in my opinion, is just too much. It's an inefficient distance to throw. And it doesn't breed explosives. So if you have a guy like Trey Wilson, who you're getting the ball behind the line of scrimmage a lot, okay, maybe. But even in that case, you're asking him to beat the entire defense to get there. And if you think about the explosive plays that Florida got from Wilson, it wasn't on the pop pass coming around the edge. That was maybe an eight or a nine yard gain most of the time. And then the safety was coming up with a good angle and able to and able to take him down. The explosive plays we saw from Trey Wilson, I mean, the one that pops to mind is the throw across the middle against Georgia where they got him running, got a corner on his hip. The safety takes a bad angle because the throw is downfield and all of a sudden that turns into a touchdown. Those are the kinds of throws I think that Florida is going to need to utilize when it comes to what they do in 2024, regardless of who the quarterback is. But if Graham Mertz is the quarterback, certainly those behind the line of scrimmage, as you see those in a game, if you see just screen after screen after screen after screen, that approach isn't changing, and I think that approach needs to change given that success rate definitely correlates with offensive performance. It's going to correlate with scoring, and throwing behind the line of scrimmage is the least efficient 
and the least explosive type of play you can have. And Florida did that more than anybody else, at least out of the top six quarterbacks in the SEC last year and still had a decent offense in like the 50s for yards per play. But they're going to need to get up into the 20s, especially with the schedule that they have right now. And the way to do it is to shift the distribution of throws. So if you're looking at a model between these five quarterbacks here, I, I know Beck is remarkably similar percentage-wise in the air yards to Mertz. I'm looking at – he's not he, – I don't think Mertz is going to be, uh, you know, too much in the Daniels camp. But I'm looking more like a, a like a Milrow maybe likes the deep ball a little better. So like a cook-dart type of distribution where it's yeah. not it's, – it's not a major shift, right? If you t- if you add it all up, but it's definitely definitely a little heavier in that middle section there. On the yeah, chart. so I mean the difference between Dart and Mertz is that Mertz throws thirty one percent behind the line of scrimmage, Dart's at nineteen. Yeah. Dart throws thirty two percent in that eleven to twenty yard right. range, and Mertz throws twenty percent. Right. That's the shift. If mm-hmm. Florida can shift that from behind the line of scrimmage to that eleven to twenty yard range, that middle of the field over the middle. Honestly, right where the tight ends are going to catch the ball. Um, if Florida can really isolate that and make that shift. And again, I don't know that you need to shift at 12 percentage points. That's a lot. But you need to start somewhere. You need to bring that down in the behind the line of scrimmage. You need to bring that down from 31 to say like 25, 24. And that distribution means, and look, I mean, I'd have no problem with them taking more downfield shots either. Um, because downfield shots, even if they're inefficient. Once, you know, you throw it downfield, it gets intercepted. You throw it downfield, it's a long incompletion. Now you're at second and 10. Coaches tend to hate that stuff, right? And Florida fans especially kind of got tired of a missed throw on first down and then, a, and then a running play that went for a yard and a half on second down, and you're sitting there at third and eight. But if you don't take the deep shots, you never get the reward. And if you think about it, Florida's offense is really weird. Two years ago with Anthony Richardson, the uh, – Florida was explosive play after explosive play after explosive play and not very successful. Like if you looked at their success rate, it would have portended a offense that was worse than it actually, than Florida's actually was this year. They were right in line with where their success rate is. They just weren't very explosive at all. And if you're relying on your running backs to break explosive plays, that's just not going to be an offense. that's going to compete against the big boys. And let's be honest, the 2024 schedule is the big boys. There, there really isn't a break on that schedule. You're not going to be able to go out and and have a game, you know, like they did against Charlotte last year, where they kind of slept walked through it and didn't have any explosives and and the game was never in doubt, but at the same time, it wasn't like an impressive performance for Florida. I think that's something that they really need to take into account. When you self-scout, when you go and look at how can we get better, there's a simple way for Florida to get better just from a play calling perspective by not by changing the distribution to increase the efficiency of plays. So, mm-hmm. you know, we watched the Lions this past weekend go up, go for it on fourth down and, you know, all the analytic naysayers came out after that. I mean, not a surprise when those sorts of things miss, but analytics are just a tool to help you make decisions. So when I look at this distribution, I go, hey, this tells me something about Florida's distribution and how it's non-optimized. And so, hey, let's optimize that as as best we can. And that doesn't mean you never throw behind the line of scrimmage, because if you never throw behind the line of scrimmage, then the defense doesn't have to guard back there. But you do need to have an acknowledgement that those throws give you the least return most of the time. And so if you're going to throw behind the line of scrimmage, make sure there's a purpose to it and make sure it's setting up 
a shot later on down the field or make sure it's setting up getting a linebacker to come up and you can sneak somebody in behind him in that 11 to 20 yard range you're using those throws behind the line of scrimmage to set up something else if you're not going to do it that way then uh, then it's really just a wasted down and you're doing something that's inefficient overall so when you looked at the uh, air yards as well you also took a look at the QB rating here and and how they actually how each quarterback actually fared downfield yeah i mean so what you see is is for these guys every single quarterback except for mertz has a qb rating up over 200 in one area and it's either in the 11 to 20 yard range or it's in the 20 plus yard range for Jaden daniels it's that he's actually over 200 in both the 11 to 20 and the 20 plus range the only quarterback who doesn't have an area of the field where he excels is Graham Mertz, 176 at 20 plus yards, 170 essentially at 11 to 20. That's that's the problem, right? Is that if you're gonna to if you're gonna take very few shots downfield and you're not successful with it, well then you got to come back to that 11 to 20 yard range and be successful there. And he wasn't. So then you got to come back to the zero to 10 yard range. Okay, kind of average there. Then you come back to the behind line of scrimmage. All right, like that's not fantastic either. And overall, the QB rating is 155, 160, which isn't terrible but it's not explosive. It's not putting up points. And how many times did Florida get stuck in the red zone when they got down there and weren't able to punch the ball in where they were sort of able to, to drive the ball down the field, but then weren't necessarily able to finish off a drive in many ways. This I think is indicative of that, that middle of the field opens up some of the downfield shots, that middle of the field opens up some of the stuff behind the line of scrimmage. They're going to have to operate there next year. If Graham Mertz is going to take another step forward. Well, some good numbers to, artic- to better articulate what we saw last season on the field. I know statistically Mertz was an interesting case all last, se- last season where you can look at the statistics in some ways and really defend them. But this was a good way to really take a, a detailed look at, at really what actually happened on the field. So interesting article coming out on Read and Reaction Please go to the website on the blog and take a look at it from Will Miles here uh, in the coming days. Um, let's go on here to four bits. Well, Asa Turner, safety out of Washington, six foot three, 200 pounds, former four-star recruit, uh, comes over to the Gators in the transfer portal. He has started 43 uh, – he's played in 43 games with 28 starts for the Huskies, so highly experienced safety Played for Will Harris in at Washington, so this is someone that has familiarity with what he's going to be asked to do, and the coach himself. And he said that uh, Coach Harris, Will Will's a, being there is huge for me. He told twenty four seven, I've known him for years. He recruited me and coached me, so I know exactly what I'm getting into. So this is a situation, Will, where he's coming into a room that's still relatively young. We saw a lot of youth get playing time last season, but Several of those guys are now gone as well. He saw some of the more experienced guys, uh, Kimber and Hill, are out. But Miguel Mitchell got a ton of playing time. Not going to be there playing at Arkansas next fall. Kamari Wilson didn't see him as much, but still a young guy in that room last year. Arizona State. Uh, and then Jadarius Perkins is another defensive back, obviously more experienced. He'll be playing at Toledo next year. So you have five defensive backs leaving the room. So there was a, a big need for their replacement here. Uh, we'll get into some of the other guys that Harris has brought aboard. Been a pretty strong showing from him so far on the recruiting trail, but Asa Turner is the latest that we've seen. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the, the addition of Turner is really big for a lot of different reasons. The first one is what you mentioned, sort of the guys who are already in the room. Um, Jordan Castell, as a true freshman, played pretty well, played 660 snaps. His rating for pro football focus was 75.7. So actually above average for Castell, obviously some tackling issues, specifically with some, thing, with some throws across the middle um, that turned into catastrophic plays. You expect those things to get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing I thought is when I looked at pro football focus, Castell was actually the 17th best defensive player by pro football focus who were true freshmen last year. So if you looked at the draft class, Castell was the 17th best defensive player, but he was like 473rd, somewhere around there overall in terms of defensive players in the country. And what that tells you is, is that when you rely on Ruth on youth, you're going to struggle again. Castell didn't play poorly, but the fact that Florida needed Castell to be elite, elite, elite is the thing that became a problem. You end up with Miguel Mitchell as the counter to Castell, 385 snaps. His pro football focus rating was 55.7. And again, average is usually somewhere around 68 or 69 for for each of these positions. So well below average for Miguel Mitchell. R.J. Moten was at 47.2 in 95 snaps. Bryce Thornton came on towards the end of the year, but he was at 58.9 in 319 snaps. So the safety position had three below average guys who got the most snaps at the position. And then one guy who was slightly above average, not a surprise. The safety position overall for Florida was a mess. So you bring in Turner from Washington, 243 snaps last year, 72.4 rating for pro football focus. And then DJ Douglas, the other safety from Tulane, 652 snaps last year, 70.7. So those two safeties in conjunction with Jordan Castell, I think means that the floor for Florida safeties is probably average play. But even that means a lot of the explosives that Florida gave up last year go away if the safeties are playing solid, not even excellent, if the safeties are just playing solid. And obviously explosives last year in Austin Armstrong's first year and the two years that he was at Southern Mississippi have been an issue They brought in Ron Roberts now, obviously, to help out. And you figure that with Douglas and Turner, in addition to Castell, the safety room should be much, much improved. And hopefully the number of explosive Florida gives up goes way, way down. Defensive backs in general here, that's 58 combined starts through the portal that Will Harris has uh, helped add to this room. Uh, In addition, Jameer Grimsley, big-time recruit, initially committed to Alabama, one of those kids who – left Alabama when Saban left. He, he is in on this class, so promising addition there. Gregory Smith, Harris added late, and that was added to the existing class. You had uh, Davis and Foster already in the fold before Harris, but completely different room coming into the 2024 season, Will. Yeah, I mean, so if you look um... – there's an article that went up to read and reaction this week that that had some spider charts that sort of showed where Florida was deficient on defense. It was linebacker, it was safety, and it was corner. And if you look at the addition of Triquez Bridges, Asa Turner, DJ Douglas, and Grayson Howard, they've at least addressed each of those positions. Now, obviously, Pup Howard's going to have to play better than he did last year at South Carolina. But again, like I mentioned, true freshmen tend to be 
lower on the scale. And we see that all the time, right? Is that there's a reason there's an all SEC freshman team. And the, that's not the all SEC team. Most freshmen don't make that all SEC team. They take that leap in the second year, the third year. So hopefully Howard is going to be able to take that sort of leap forward. Obviously Shamar James, hopefully is going to be healthy and you can start to see a linebacker room that, you know, look, Scooby Williams, I I wanted him to do well, but you look at the pro football focus numbers. They're just awful. I mean, I think he's like 44.1, um, 42.1. And again, average is like 68, 69 at the linebacker position. So well, well, well below average. And he played a boatload of snaps. So replacing that guy with someone who's solid will go a long way towards eliminating the big plays that we saw last year. Um, so hopefully Howard can contribute to that. He obviously Howard's the young guy. I think what you'll probably see in the next, either in the next couple of weeks or after spring is Florida's going to target some experienced linebackers to bring in there as well. Similarly to Douglas Turner, Bridges, Slackman, those guys that they've added who have real experience and, and can hopefully step right in. And even again, even if they're not like top 20 players in the country, if they're top 200, Florida's defense has improved significantly. Yeah, certainly seeing a, a, a more experience overall being added, I feel like, in this cycle than we did last year. Uh, let's go on to special teams. Well, there was a coach that was hired. Uh, I was thrilled for this announcement. Uh, Florida's hiring Joe Houston, the coach, the special teams. But then they announced that he's going to be a senior analyst. <laughs> he's not necessarily going to be on the field during the games where – I don't even care about him coaching the special teams during the, during the games. Well, can he just at least be like the special teams counter? Can we get that like one through 11 guy on this on, on there? So as long as that's being handled and we are at least rolling out with enough bodies for a special teams play, that would be a significant improvement. But guy seems to have a good track record, comes over from New England, worked with Alabama a little bit as well, a former kicker at USC back in the day. Um He's coaching the college level for a while, too. He's at Iowa State as a special teams coordinator at one point and uh, seems to have a good track record. Uh, and says he had all Big 12 kickers in 2016 and 2017. So this is a guy that, that seems promising coming down from the pro level. Don't know if he's going to be a longtime guy here in Gainesville, but certainly a position of need and certainly a room where you'd like to have some fresh blood uh, coming into the next season. Yeah. You know, look, I think obviously Houston wasn't in charge of special teams there at new England. He was an assistant to Joe judge mm -hmm. in new England. This will be the first time he's actually responsible for it. Um, special teams haven't been fantastic in new England the last couple of years. So that is something to take into consideration. I mean, look, it's not like they've been terrible, but they haven't been great. Um, but Florida obviously needs help at this place. This is some at this position. This is a place where the Gators have have struggled over the last two years, not just with execution in the kicking game, but with operations, right? And so the operations of having 11 guys on the field, the operations of having two number threes, the operations of the leaping penalty, I think it was against Kentucky, um, those sorts of things just can't happen over and over and over and over and over again. And now we know who's responsible, right? So Couch was the game changer coordinator, but Billy Napier sort of owned the special teams. And hey, it's a group effort and all that sort of stuff. At this point, there's somebody who's definitively responsible. And I think that makes a difference. When you've got someone to hold accountable, you can actually hold them accountable when things aren't going well. Um, when everyone is accountable for something, well, now, you know, 
there's a bunch of Spider-Man meme pointing at each other, and that won't happen anymore. So I think bringing on Houston's a big deal for that. And obviously, this is somebody that Bill Belichick and Nick Saban both thought highly enough that they wanted them on their staffs. Um, and whenever that happens, you know, at least at an assistant coaching level, you feel good about it. Obviously, when it's a Saban assistant becoming a head coach, maybe we need to sort of second thoughts at time from time to time. But an assistant coach who have those guys stamp of approval, I think, is somebody that is a welcome addition to Florida staff. Why do you believe that this is not an on-field role? I, I mean, I think if you look at a lot of different um, college football programs, the special teams coordinator is not an on-field role. I think I agree with Napier that this can be taught off the field, that that you can teach what guys need to do on special teams without having somebody there. Honestly, Napier or someone Napier has delegated it to needs to be making the decisions of, are we kick? Are we punting? Are we kicking a field goal? Are we going for it on fourth? All those sorts of things, right? But the thing that's missing is, does the backup know that he's supposed to be in there when somebody gets hurt? Does the defensive back know to change his jersey when he goes in there? Does don't just, you feel is like everyone... a, a coach would be good for that? And that's well, something see, yes, I do, do but I also well. <laughs> I do, but I also Why do they think that... coaches. <laughs> so so here, but here would be my point: is that you don't. So you expect the offensive players to know the play calls and you expect like say the offensive lineman, if the left tackle sprains an ankle and you have to rearrange the offensive line, you still expect the backup offensive lineman and all the other guys who've been rearranged to be able to execute their assignments because they've been coached throughout the week. If you have to pull them aside and tell them what their assignment is on game day, that's a problem. And so if you're running if you're running a punt return in practice and you have two number threes on the field, like Joe Houston has to see that and they have to avoid that. And they have to explain that to their players. And if the players can't execute it on the field, then you need to find players who can, or you need to force one of the players to change his number, whatever, whatever the case might be. But my point would be is that that penalty came on Wednesday. That penalty didn't come on Saturday. That penalty came because some the they were either allowed to run it without doing the operations of actually changing the jerseys or they just forgot and didn't do that anyway and it was an oversight and that and obviously if that's an oversight again i, I think my problem with special teams was never that they like physical errors i'm actually okay with the thing that the bothered me was it all seemed like mental errors it's like how how do your special teams not know that there are supposed to be 11 guys on the field like is, you should is, always know that's your assignment you should always have guys out for kick blocks for pats for all that stuff you should know your assignment you should go out there that's coaching on thursday if i got to walk over and tell you hey you need to be on the field on saturday well uh, we got bigger problems than uh then are you going to be able to execute once you get out there? Which is exactly why this feels like it should be an on position, uh, an on field position and not just an analyst role. So they've, they've been doing the analyst thing for some time now. I, I think it requires some hands-on game day uh, action there, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Certainly again, good pedigree, good, good pedigree where, where the guy's coming from uh, looks Looks promising in some areas, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, October, or, sorry, October, <laughs> April. I'm ready to get to October. Well, we're ready to get to football <laughs> season, but first we got to go through spring ball here. Uh, April 13th, Saturday, April 13th, the orange and blue game will be played 
on a Saturday afternoon, the Swamp at 1 p.m. on April 13th. Uh, it's free for admission. The game's uh, presented by Florida Victorious. Just throwing the NIL out there. Little sponsor, little sponsorship shout out there. So, Will, it's been on Thursday nights the last couple of years. I, th- I think that's been good for TV, not necessarily good for the fans to get to on a Thursday night. Uh, you'll probably see a larger crowd in the Swamp for this one, especially with the anticipations for some of these freshmen, uh, one playing quarterback in particular will, will probably draw plenty of folks just on his own there. But Hey, I, I think this is a type of move where they've probably heard some feedback from people the last couple of years. It seems like some people I, I know, especially if you're out of town, there's a lot of large percentage of people that are driving in for the games. So it's tough to get to if it's not on a Saturday uh, from a TV perspective, I absolutely don't mind it being on a Thursday, but if you're within a couple hours and you'd like to go up to the game, you're probably not doing it on a Thursday, but you definitely do it on a Saturday. You got that opportunity again this year. Yeah, I think it has more to do with the overall experience, right? I mean, you come in on a Saturday, you watch the game, but then there's usually 9,000 other things going on on campus. And so there's a baseball game and a basketball game and well, not a basketball game, but a baseball game and softball game and a volleyball game and gymnastics or all those different things. And they sort of line them up. And if you're a sports fan and you're a Florida fan, you can go in on a weekend at least, you know, three or four years ago, you could go in and you could do everything that was associated with the school. And let's be honest, most of the people who are coming from the spring game are people who went to Florida, people who love that campus, who have memories, those sorts of things. If you're popping in on a Friday or on a Thursday night and then you leave after the game and you go home, you miss sort of the experience of the homecoming aspect of of the of the Saturday uh, of the Saturday spring game. So, look, I always love the Saturday one. Um, that's the one I've taken my kids to when I've gone in the past. Um, the fact that it's free and that those guys go to bed early means that if I'm flying down to Florida to see a game, like having it in the middle of the day is helpful, but that's me being selfish on that sort of stuff. I think the other thing is, is it's not as though the, uh, it's not as though the recruiting has been so lights out with the Thursday night spring game that you look at it and go, well, we have to continue that. We can't possibly not continue that. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I, I don't know that Florida right now is a huge spring game draw on TV anyway. And so you, you know, you do what you need to do in order to get the recruits there on campus in order to get the fans in the seats in order to start to build hope for what's coming. And obviously you mentioned the quarterback we're all going to be looking at for that spring game Um, coming out with a, with a weekend where you feel really good about things, finishing it off with hopefully a baseball win that weekend too, having all that stuff sort of go on, I I think makes a difference. It does. And, and it's sort of like, you know, when I, when I went to Virginia tech, we always had a bunch of Thursday night games. And the Thursday night games in Blacksburg became a big part of that program and what they were trying to build. However, those Thursday night games also pointed out to all of us that we were not big time, like we were not the elite of the elite in college football, even though Virginia Tech had a pretty cool history by the time I got there. Florida should be the elite of the elite on Saturday competing and not be afraid to compete with the big boys and not be afraid to be on Saturday against everybody else. And eventually, if you build the program to where you want it to be, it'll be the other teams, the Auburns and the Arkansas and the Ole Misses saying, well, maybe we should put our game on Thursday. So I like the move. I like having it on Saturday. I think it's good for fans. I don't think it matters too much for TV. Um, You know, for the most part, people watch like the first half and then Mm -hmm. sort of check out anyway. And so, um, you know, it's, I get it that it's content for, or ESPN and those sorts of things, but uh, um, 
you know, unless you're being demanded to do it by ESPN, I think you're doing right by your fans having it on Saturday. Yeah, it'll be it'll be uh, definitely plenty to look forward to with it this year. I, I think we're playing South Carolina in baseball that weekend. I saw. There's a lot. It's like you said. It's like one of those classic weekends where they have like. Oh, there's a lot going on throughout the entire weekend. So if you want to, like you said too, take the kids down to a game on a Saturday. Definitely, uh, definitely a nice Saturday there in Gainesville. Weather's usually pretty solid that time of year too. It's not super super hot by that time typically too. So well, and and they're giving me an opportunity to be there. So hopefully I'll get to see some of you people down there when uh, when, when I get down there. So my my kid Max will want to go if I, if I have an opportunity. So so we'll see. I'm hoping I'm I'm hoping I haven't been able to clear my schedule completely yet, but hopefully I'll be down there. All right. Well, hey, uh, another good episode in the books here. Will, you want to make any announcements before we head out? No, nah, just what we said earlier, right? I mean, obviously, uh, still looking for advertisers for the preseason magazine. Um, you know, it's it, it's a you know, we sort of look at it as a prestige type of thing um, where hopefully you want people who align with what we're trying to do in terms of differentiated content that's uh, unique in the college football landscape. We think we think so. At least hopefully you do, too, if you're listening to this. Um, and if that aligns with your brand, please reach out. Will at readandreaction.com. And we'd love to hear from you and, uh, you know, love to hear what your advertising needs are and develop something. I mean, I've told a couple of people I've talked to, I, I want advertising with us to be a win-win and so if the magazine isn't the right opportunity if you need proof of concept whatever it is tell us and then we'll try to figure out how to make sure that what we're putting together meets your needs well thank you for tuning in for another episode of stand up and holler for will miles i'm nick newton have a great week everybody and go gators hey everybody thanks for listening to stand up and holler if you're interested in more information from me and nick you can go over to readandreaction.com you can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash Read and Reaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.